turn to Luke chapter 11. Uh, Luke chapter 11. And as you turn there, let me just make a, a quick announcement. Uh, tonight, um, we just sung a song, uh, How Great Thou Art. And uh, the first two songs, the songs was actually penned uh, by a missionary to Russia. Uh, and he, he wrote the, the songs about the beauty of God's creation. The first two talk about God's beauty and creation. And the third verse really was just his heart. Um, as he climbed over the mountains one day, he looked down in the valley and he saw uh, a group of uh, people who did not know the Lord. And he was moved to write these words. Uh, and when I thought, when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Uh, he wrote those words because he wanted to share that message with the Russian people who did not know the gospel. Uh, we have a young man coming tonight uh, with his wife and three children, uh, a missionary who wants to go to northwest China uh, to a people uh, of five, 15 million people uh, in this people group uh, who do not have uh, the gospel. Uh, so I would encourage you, if you are not one who typically comes back for Sunday night, can I just encourage you to come tonight and hear uh, this young man's heart uh, to take this mo- the message, the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves people from their sin uh, to the people uh, in uh, China. Well, we do have a couple of things to, to pray for this morning. Uh, we want to continue to pray for the, the people uh, in the Philippines. Uh, they experienced that harsh uh, weather uh, in the last few days. We also want to lift up our dear brother, Olin Hollis, who's just battling some, some health issues, as well as Jonathan McGirt, uh, who's back in the hospital, uh, went in this weekend. So I'm going to read uh, the text, uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 23. I'll pray, and then we'll dig into the word uh, of the Lord. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Now, he, Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he's casting out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Well, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. But if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we humbly bow before you. You are great, God. How great thou art. God, we want to sing, we want to rejoice in how great and good and holy you are. You are magnificent, Lord. So, God, we pray as we enter in this time of prayer and the Word, God, that you would just grow our hearts to to see how magnificent you are, that we would truly magnify you in our hearts and minds. God, when we enter your presence, we realize very quickly how we have not magnified you, how we have magnified other things in your place, God. We have sought joy and satisfaction in places that outside of you, So, God, we come now asking for 
forgiveness. God, we pray that you would forgive us of our trespasses against you as we forgive those who trespass against us. God, give us a feeling of peace knowing that all our sin, all our many sins have been paid for in the the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have been bought and redeemed through Jesus. God, we pray uh, for the people in the Philippines. God, we pray um, for families, even now who are being searched for. God, if there's anyone still alive, God, we pray that you give those who are searching eyes and ears to see and hear them. God, we pray for those families who have lost loved ones. We pray that you would help them grieve, God. We pray that in their grief they would turn to you, God, for comfort. Father, we pray um, for the rebuilding effort of all that is going to be done. God, we pray that your people, your people who are called by your name in that land, would make your name sweet, would, make, would, would emanate the aroma of Christ, God, that people would be saved even in the midst of this tragedy. God, we pray for our, our dear brother Owen Hollis, who's at home sick. God, we pray that you would just minister to him. Father, he has meant so much to so many of us here. So God, we pray that you'd be merciful to him. God, we pray that he would be comforted by your grace and therefore he would also be able to comfort others as you heal him. We pray again for our our dear brother, Jonathan McGuirk. God, we thank you so much for sparing his life again uh, this weekend. God, we we thank you for a successful surgery that happened. God, we pray that you continue to have your hand upon his life. God, we thank you for even the testimony that when he woke up from surgery, he said, God is so good. You are so good, God, and he sees it. So God, we thank you for his faith. We ask you to continue to protect him. Uh, Give Barbara peace knowing that you are uh, in complete sovereign control uh, of Jonathan's life. God, we also pray for the gospel proclamation in our city. God, we want the gospel to go forth. We pray for Joey Deese at Oakdale Baptist Church today, God. We pray that as he steps to your pulpit, God, that he declares your word, that you attend his, the, the, the preached word by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that people there would be changed from one degree of glory to the next, Father. We pray that you would just bless that congregation, bring lost souls to come and hear the gospel message. God, we pray now for our own hearts. God, we, we are a people in desperate need of your word. So God, we pray that you would preach through me, God, to your people. I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase, that your name would be magnified. God, we pray now for the Holy Spirit, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God to rest upon your word, God. Have it be sent out into the hearts and minds of the people here. God, we want um, to worship you. So God, we pray in this hour that you would help us worship by hearing and responding to your holy and inerrant word. Uh, We ask this uh, through the one uh, who is the word, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Uh, Tate Branham was my neighbor for five years. Uh, He's an extremely special young man. Um, He's full of joy and laughter, uh, and he brings his parents tremendous delights, delight. Uh, But he's also faced with tremendous obstacles. Uh, See, Tate is blind and autistic and suffers from cerebral palsy, a severe case. Uh, For years, um, Tate's father would pray that he would just speak five words in his life. His whole life, he was mute, never speaking, uh, and all he wanted was five words. 
Um, because of various issues, Tate was required by his doctors to take many different forms of medication. Well, when Tate turned 10, his mother felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit to remove Tate from all medication. So I just, I, I, she kind of felt this tug by the Spirit for about six months. I need to get him off all medication. Um, well, she finally took him off this medication, and only a few months later, uh, Tate, who had never spoken a word before, seemingly out of nowhere, just said, Mama. Mama. He had never spoken a single word in 11 years until that day. See, the Spirit of Christ led his mother to remove him from this medication, and God answered the prayers of his father by starting giving him words. See, the power of Jesus Christ was communicated to Tate Branham. I pray that the power of Jesus Christ would be communicated to us this morning. See, Jesus Christ is still working. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is still working in our world? Do you believe that God can still do miraculous things? All Christians must believe in God's power, for it comes from the gospel in which we cherish. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for all who believe. The gospel communicates the power of Christ in our lives. This is why we preach the gospel week in and week out. Believing in Jesus Christ is the foundation of, to experience his power. Now, throughout the life of Jesus, people were often confronted with this power. They were forced to make a choice. Is this Jesus Lord or something else? C.S. Lewis explains, based on the biblical testimony, that Jesus Christ is one of three things. He's either Lord, liar, or a lunatic. He's either the Lord because he is God. He is who he says he is. He's a liar because he knows he's not God, and yet he claims to be God. Or he's a lunatic, saying that he, he, he believes himself to be God, but doesn't know he's not. So when approaching Christ, Lewis says, you are confronted with a choice. You either have to look at Jesus Christ as being the Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. The question for us today is that when we see the power of Christ, Who do you believe Jesus Christ to be? Is Jesus Christ Lord or not? We must choose. The power of Christ commands a response. If you want to follow along on the the bulletins provided for you, flip on the back and we'll get to that first point. Number one, the power of Christ communicated. The power of Christ communicated. Look with me again in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. Jesus came to this man, and the man could not speak. The man was mute. Jesus cast out the demon, and the mute man spoke. It's a very simple thing. Jesus communicated his power to the man, and it spoke. Now, we don't know how long uh, this man was mute. It doesn't tell us in the text. Uh, but we, we can, based on people's response, being marveled, marveling and being amazed at what just happened, they, this man probably had not spoken for a very long time, if ever. It was shocking to the people. 
It was a demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus communicates his power, people stand in awe. They fear him. Bobby Perkins was a friend of mine in Washington, D.C. He was an addict to heroin. Heroin is one of the most addicting drugs uh, there is. Um, It's very hard to break free from. Those who, who try to break free continue to relapse because of the effect on the body. Well, my, my good friend Bobby, he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. And he said that night, God immediately took away his desire for heroin. After he heard the gospel, after he felt the power and the presence of God, he never did heroin again. Now, that doesn't happen every day. Sometimes it's a long battle overcoming addiction. But Bobby was changed. Now, what happened when people who who knew Bobby, who he was, the heroin addict, what happened when when people encountered the new, sanctified, redeemed Bobby Perkins? They stood amazed. What happened to you? See, the life of a Christian, beloved, needs to be radically different than that of the world. People need to see the power of Christ communicated in our life, and we need to look different Because if we don't, we're not communicating that God has touched our life with his power and presence. But we're not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for all who believe. When we believe, we experience that power. Second point, the power of Christ challenged. The power of Christ challenged. Verse 15, but some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now, Luke here doesn't specify which group are challenging Jesus. We find out from the testimony of Mark and Matthew that it's, it's, it's the Pharisees and the scribes. Luke doesn't pinpoint it. We don't know why he doesn't. Um, but for Luke, it was not a concern who challenged Jesus, but with the challenge itself. As I said before, C.S. Lewis said that Jesus is Lord, liar, or lunatic. But this group added another category. He was either Lord, liar, lunatic, or satanic. The people said that Jesus Christ cast out demons by the devil, Beelzebub, which is a clear reference to Satan. The people challenged that Jesus was working for and with the devil. This is a serious accusation which Jesus will answer directly. He is attributing the work of God to the work of Satan. Now hear me, it says in Matthew and Mark that this is the, where it comes in that attributing to the work of God, to the work of Satan, is the unforgivable sin. And this is serious. A sin that is so severe that you will not be forgiven, which we'll get to in a second. Lord willing, um, we will see how God in his mercy uh, wants to open our eyes so that we will not commit the unforgivable sin. People always ask that question, what is this unforgivable sin? We'll get to it, Lord willing, before the end of the sermon. But jump with me first and look at verse 16 of chapter 11. He said, others kept desiring to test Jesus, kept seeking from a sign from heaven. 
Jesus will speak later in this chapter about the sign that he will give his people, the sign of Jonah. But these people here wanted proof that Jesus Christ was God um, himself, was doing the work of God. And notice how close this is connected, that wanting more signs and more proof was connecting and attributing Jesus Christ's work to the work of Satan. Now, we live in the educated West, where rational, scientific thought rules the day. We want quantifiable evidence proving beyond a shadow of a doubt the truth we believe. Now, these were the kinds of people in Jesus' day as well. They wanted to test him to see if he truly was God. They wanted a sign from heaven. But didn't they already see a sign? This man was mute. He couldn't speak. Jesus spoke to him, and he started to speak. They already saw a sign. Was it not enough? So there, there are people in our day who want more evidence. But the problem is they are ignoring the evidence that is all around them. Their desire for more proof is actually their way of suppressing the truth they have already seen. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Paul is saying that God has already given you enough signs. Look at the, what he created with his eternal power. You want a sign? Go stand at the foot of the, the ocean. See the immensity of, of the blue sea. You want a sign? Go to the top of a, valley, uh, top of a mountain and look down into the valley and be motivated like the, the man who wrote, How Great Thou Art, and see God's power. Or better yet, go today, look in the mirror, and ask yourself how you are the way you are. How did God create you? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes more fearfully than wonderfully. Amen? Thank you, Dan. See, the, the problem is, is God is, is showing himself again and again and again. We just don't see it. So when people that you encounter want to see more proof of God, turn the evidence back on them and say, why don't you believe based on this? The third thing we see here is that the power of Christ is clarified. The power of Christ is clarified. In verse 17, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, they wanted a sign and Jesus just gives them one. I know what you're thinking. I am God. He goes on, um, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. By whom do you, your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, Jesus makes a very simple argument. Kingdoms and households that are divided will not last. Satan wants his kingdom to last, so he's not going to be divided against himself. He's not going to cast out his own demons because he knows his kingdom won't last. It doesn't make any sense. You know, Satan is no dummy, right? He is he's an intelligent, 
cunning, wickedly wise being. He wants to use every ounce of his wisdom to destroy the people of God. We must not make light of him. He is powerful. So, I mean, he just, Jesus gives an argument of logic. If Satan is divided against himself, his kingdom won't last. There's many applications you can make from this text, but I think the most obvious one is that um, how important unity is for successful kingdoms and successful homes. See, if division will cause kingdoms to be laid waste and households to fall, how important do you think unity is for a kingdom to last and for a home to thrive? See, one of the greatest tragedies that we face in our day is the disunity in the church. See, as, as a church, we're called to be united around the gospel. But when people speak of the church, all they see is division and strife. Our disunity, when we are disunified as a body, is showing that we are spiritual babies. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but I, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants, babies in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. I fed you, and even now you are not ready. You are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? The church should never be a place of division, but always a place of unity. Now, our unity is not because we always want to make people happy. Our unity is around the Word of God. It is around the gospel. So we are always going to unite around the gospel and divide on other things. Division is a sign of spiritual childhood, while the sign of unity is spiritual maturity. So we should unite around the truth. Now, beloved, we are the family of God. One of the things I've been telling you again and again is that we must be unified as a body around the gospel. I, I saw a beautiful picture of this uh, this past Wednesday. We were finishing our Wednesday night supper, and I looked over at the door and I saw Miss Eunice Smith and my children giving a hug. They were just hugging each other. Now, it doesn't make sense outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ that a four and a seven-year-old will lovingly embrace a 94-year-old woman. It doesn't make sense. But in the gospel, we're united. That's the, that's the picture of what we're called to be. You who are older than me are my spiritual fathers and my spiritual mothers. Those who are younger are my spiritual sons and daughters. We want to care and love one another so that we can all grow in the kingdom of God. When we, when we look at the church, only what it's going to do for my family, you miss the entire thing. Because you're not called here uniquely as a family, you are called to be part of the family of God. Peter writes, once we were not a people, but now we are a people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And because we've received the mercy of God, we must love each other and be unified around the gospel of Christ. We are a people. So if unity will make us thrive, we must fight for that unity. I mean, Jesus even presses the, the unity argument even further. He says, if I'm casting out demons by the prince of demons, who are your sons casting out demons? Now, Jewish exorcisms... 
were very common in Jesus' day. Uh, Paul mentions it in Acts 19, referring to some inerrant Jewish exorcist trying to use Jesus' name in their ministry. Uh, Jesus is saying that if, if I'm doing this by the prince of demons, who, is your, who are your sons doing this by? They were giving Jesus a double standard. You know, people were attempting to put Jesus in a different category than these other exorcists because they didn't want anything to do with Jesus because Jesus made them change. They were looking for a reason to discredit Jesus and showing their hypocrisy. I mean, Jesus used the same argument uh, talking to the chief priests and the scribes towards the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 21. They came to him and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus replied, I, I also will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will tell you the authority in which I do these things. The baptism of John. Where did it come from? From heaven or from man? They couldn't answer. More accurately, they wouldn't answer because Jesus makes people pick a side. You have to choose, are you with him or are you against him? People did not want to embrace the truth, but they rather suppressed it. So when Jesus Christ came to this mute man and cast out the demon, people were confronted with the power of God. Are they going to choose that he is Lord or are they going to reject him as working with the evil one? Look how Jesus finishes this in verse 20. He says, but if it is by the finger of of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now the phrase finger of God is, is, is the same exact wording used in Exodus chapter, nine, Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. After the third plague, um, you know, Aaron made uh, these gnats come out of nowhere, and these magicians tried to use their, their, their wisdom and their, their, their secret arts to create gnats, and they couldn't do it. So this is what they looked at Pharaoh and they said, they said, what we're seeing is the finger of God. There was no other explanation. This is happening only by the hand of God. Now the next sentence I think is very telling in Exodus chapter 8. It says this, they said it was the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them. Now, if you were a Jewish boy raised in um, a Jewish household, you would have heard the story again and again and again. They love telling the story of the Exodus. Uh, when, when you can could, could imagine a Jewish boy saying, tell it again. Every time I read a, a book to my daughter, uh, Olivia, she says, again, again. She wants to read it again. She likes that story. You can imagine that they wanted to hear about God's power and, and showing how he, he miraculously saved the, 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 the Israelites from the Egyptian people. So they would have made the connection immediately, if these were the Pharisees especially, because they know the Scriptures, that when they said the finger of God, they would have been immediately brought back to this scene. And they would have known that Pharaoh did not want to admit that the, the, the plagues were by the hand of God. But what did Pharaoh do? He hardened his heart and did not listen. What Jesus is doing here, he's looking at these Pharisees, he's saying, you are acting like Pharaoh. Pharaoh was one of the arch enemies of the people of God. He was the one who, who, who forced them into brutal slave labor. He was the one that killed thousands and thousands and thousands of babies. Jesus is saying, when you 
attribute the finger of God to the work of Satan, you are being like Pharaoh. You are hardening your heart. They had a choice. They could either accept the power of God and rejoice that his kingdom has come, or they could, like Pharaoh, harden their hearts and willfully reject God's hand. So the unforgivable sin, the willful, persistent rejection of the power of God and the hardening of one's heart to God's work will not be forgiven. See, as long as there is breath still in your lungs, there is time for you to come to Christ. God wants you to come to Him. But you must turn to Him in repentance and faith. You must believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. You must believe that He lived a a sinless life and died a sinner's death, a death that paid the penalty for sin. And that God, being pleased with the sacrifice, raised Jesus Christ from the dead. See, He died our death and His resurrection is a model for us that when we die, we will also be raised with Him. Romans 6.5 says, If we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Hear me, anyone, anyone can be saved if they turn to Jesus Christ. My friend Bobby Perkins, a heroin addict, can be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ if he turns and believes. But if you consistently, willfully, persistently reject the work of God in your life and reject that God's calling you to repentance, you will not be forgiven. There's forgiveness only in Jesus Christ. Do not harden your hearts to Him. And if I could just say this to to, to the people that I love the most, there are some of you here who are struggling with sin. This week was a bad week for you. Um, Can I just tell you this? Do not harden your hearts. If you are a believer in Christ, turn to him. The, The elder John said to his people, Dear children, I write this to you that you may not sin. But if any of you do sin, know this, that you have one standing before the Father on your behalf, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do not harden your hearts. Turn to him and be forgiven completely and fully. The second, third, fourth thing we see here is the power of Christ conquers. The power of Christ conquers. I have two points left, but they're shorter points, so I will be done on time. I know who, you're, who you are. Oh, a lot of laughter, huh? There's a lot of you out there. I'll pick it up. Okay. Verse 21. Uh, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Now the strong man in the parable is obviously Satan. He has fortified his palace. He is fully armed and his goods are safe. Well, what are Satan's goods? Well, his goods are the souls of, of man. Right? He brought death into this world through the disobedience of Adam. The Bible says without Christ, we are the children of Satan, living to do his will. We are enslaved and in bondage to the spirit of the age. Satan himself. But when one who is stronger than he has come and attacks him and overcomes him, we will be free. See, our God saw that we were in bondage to slavery and death, 
So he sent his son. Listen to this in 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus Christ has come. He has attacked the evil one right at the heart of what he has done to destroy mankind. With his death and resurrection, he has given us freedom from slavery and fear of death. We have been set free. We have been set free. We even see this. God has already shown us a picture of how he conquers the one who is stronger, the strong man who trusts in his armor like Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh trusted in his army, in the chariots and and horses he had. But one came that was stronger than he, the God of heaven, who with his finger, not his whole hand, with his finger, came and brought them to destruction. Psalm 27 says this, Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. It's a beautiful promise, beloved. We don't, we don't trust in what we have in this world. We don't trust in our chariots and our horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's much stronger than he who is in this world. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. There is power then and there is power now in the name of Jesus Christ. We, we see this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter says, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Beloved, do not harden your hearts like Pharaoh. Do not harden your hearts like the Pharisees. Do not reject Jesus Christ, for he is the only one, and his name and his name alone is the only one that can give you salvation. Well, we close with the the fifth point, the power of Christ commands. The power of Christ commands. Just look at this last verse, verse 23 of our text this morning. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's commanding a response. You are either with him or you are against him. You will either be gathered with him or you will be scattered from him. Jesus Christ is God who has come to destroy the works of the devil. You are either going to side with Jesus Christ, the King of glory, or you are going to side with the evil one, the bringer of death. But Jesus Christ has overcome the strong man of this world. Do not reject the work of God. Rejoice in the victory over death, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The question is not if you will choose. The question is whom will you choose? Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would choose you We pray that when we are confronted with your power, that we would not scatter, but that we would gather ourselves to you. Help us believe. Help us believe in the gospel, which is the power of God for those who believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.